This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Components. Over 800 street fitments for handbars, bar mounts, clip-ons, brake pads, chains, and sprockets. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. My name is Adam Wheeler. I'm joined by Mr. David Emmett from motomatters.com and Mr. Neil Morrison. Uh, we're recording slightly earlier this week because we're all about to embark on our trip to Texas, Austin, for round three, the Red Bull Grand Prix of the Americas. So I probably got that structure wrong for the Grand Prix name. So Dave, correct me, please. No, it's nice. This one you can actually pronounce correctly, Adam. <laughs> well, being sort of native English, I think that's, um, you know, that and Silverstone I'm pretty safe with, you know, so two out of the 21 rounds. Fair play. You also do speak fluent Spanish and uh, and uh, Catalan, so uh, hats off to you. Yeah, Jerez and Catalonia might be all right. Yeah, and Australia, Australia as well. So you've got about five out of 21, which is not bad going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well you know start on the right note that's what i say and um, this show has also been made thanks also to gas 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 factory racing tech 3 helped propel augusto fernandez to a very decent 11th place finish in argentina and the brand have two options for the road the dual sport es 700 and the supermoto sm 700 and more road-based bikes are coming so get on the gas um, there's no shortage of hot gas expelled on this podcast so we're just going to tear right into our preview for the um american round of the series guys uh, circuit of the americas cotta um it's been it's just over 10 years old and you know it's been oh goodness host to a uh, mark marquez kind of fest really hasn't it in the last uh, couple of years it has to be said or a couple of years or since MotoGP first visited the venue um it's one of the longest tracks on the calendar uh, we're looking at 3.4 miles, 5.5 kilometers, 20 corners. It's certainly the track with the most turns on the MotoGP uh, agenda. Um, we could see the, see the shortest sprint race yet. Uh, the main race was 20 laps last year, so I think we're headed for 10 on Saturday in Texas. And my question for both of you, just to uh, kick things off here, who has been the most impressive at Cotta? Has it been Marquez with seven out of nine wins or has it been Alex Rins because he's the only rider to have won all the way through? He's mastered Moto3, Moto2 and MotoGP there. So uh, any takers, any opinions? Yeah, I mean, it's obvious he's smart Marquez because, uh, you know, people would turn up at Cota knowing that they were going to lose. It was as simple as that. I think that is... And, and hats off to Alex Rins. You know, he has been extremely good. Uh, but up until um, uh, Mark managed to completely destroy himself, there was just not... It was like the Saxon ring. You know, I mean, you go to the Saxon ring, you know he's going to win. There's no point in sort of betting on anyone else. The only entertainment is um, sort of how many laps it's going to take for someone to get to the front. So, yeah, no, Mark Marquez. If you had to squeeze your frame onto a MotoGP bike, would you rather take on Marquez at Austin or Marquez at the Saxon ring? Oh, Austin probably just. Mind you, the other thing is, I think uh, uh, as uh, the circuit of the Americas is the most physical track on the circuit, I would la uh, probably last about six corners before I collapse in a pile of sweaty, blubbery mess. Yeah, I think I would get to turn turn 10, turn 11 before uh, my arms would just give way and I would uh, probably fall off the side of the bike like a kind of errant crash test dummy. Um, so yeah, I'd probably go with the, the Saxon ring. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, I think um, you know Mark at uh, at Austin. It's not 
a great track for racing. We've discussed this before for sure. Um, but usually the most entertaining moments of, uh, of of the kind of Grand Prix of the Americas would be Mark having to overcome some kind of adversity to, to either score victory or score pole position. Like in 2015 when he had that uh, ridiculous qualifying lap, which is probably still one of the best qualifying laps of all time. Um, but yeah, in the last couple of years, we've actually had some decent racing there um, after some real snore fests. Uh, you know, 2019 was great when Mark crashed out of the lead. Then Reigns and Rossi were, were going for it up until the last lap. That was a really good last lap fight. And then obviously last year, um, I know Anaya won it well in the end, but um, that was a kind of race that was pretty unpredictable throughout. And um, there was, uh, you know, a couple of... Uh, couple of interesting figures up there. Jack Miller led most of it. Bastianini came through real strong at the end. Also, Alex Rins had a fantastic comeback. And then, of course, Marks, his own comeback from last position at the first turn to finish sixth in his later fight with Fabio Quattaro. You know, there was lots of intriguing elements to last year's fight. So, um, yeah, I guess looking at this year and, and, and this weekend, a lot is going to come down to whether Mark is going to be there, first of all. And then also the uh, outcome of, um, of uh, you know, this penalty that's kind of hanging over his head. You're leaping way ahead here, Neil. We're going to come into the Mark Marquez question on the podcast, and we're also going to talk a little bit about Top Rack and the former World Superbike World Champion. There's some rumours floating around that he's closer than ever to a MotoGP berth in the future. And, of course, we have a fantastic interview that Neil performed with uh, Hervé Poncheral, the team principal of the Gas Gas Factory Racing Tech 3 team, just to play out on the pod. But, um, first of all, just, just coming back to Cotter itself, I mean, Neil, you mentioned there hasn't been great racing there in previous years. But, you know, it's... Is there something very admirable or spectacular about the way it's such a technical track, Dave? I mean, 20 corners and, and 20 very different corners. For me, it's always a, a very curious venue, I guess you could say. I mean, there's been criticisms of it in the past for the, the state of the asphalt. Um, we know some of the topography situation with Cotter, the way that the track ripples. I mean, that wasn't such a big issue in 2022, but it has been in the past. Um, do you, I mean, I know you're a person who really likes to get out on the circuit road and see the racing up close. Um, do you like being at Cota, Dave? I mean, I love being at Cota. I mean, it's a fantastic, it's a genuinely fantastic track. It's also really good. I mean, my parents came over uh, and uh, went there with my brother and his family uh, for my father's 80th birthday. Uh, this would have been, uh, hang on, for 2017. And they said they really enjoyed it as well because you can walk around everywhere and see lots and lots of bits of it. It's only really, what is it, turn 11, I think, right down the bottom, where which is very inaccessible because it's a long way. Um, but all of that sort of central part, and there's lots of activities, there's lots of stuff going on. Uh, also, when we go... Um, it's right in the middle of the wildflower season for, uh, in Austin in the spring. And it's just, it's, it's beautiful. I think this year, uh, from what I understand, the, uh, the, the blue bonnets and the other Texan wildflowers have all already been out early because they've had a very warm spring. So we're going to miss that, but it, it, it's a great, um, it's a very attractive place to be. It's a nice, it doesn't have spectacular scenery, but it's just really, really pleasant. It's a lovely place to wander around. Come for the motorbikes and stay for the botany. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, last year, the, the attendance wasn't that great, um, which was slightly surprising because it was the first Grand Prix after, you could say, the worst of the pandemic. I mean, I think for us international travellers to get to Texas still, we have to show our you know, our certificate of vaccination. So there are still 
some sort of loose controls about entry to the US. Uh, it was like last year, I think, you know, there was a certain amount of um, build-up around the likes of Cameron Bobier, Joe Roberts. Um, I think MotoGP is missing a bit of that American hype this year. Last year, of course, was also the, um, you know, Moto America was racing the same weekend. We got to check in with Danilo Petrucci. Uh, you know, he was making, I think, was was it round one last year at Kota? Um, it was, I think he was making his debut. So those kind of factors aren't there for this Grand Prix. But uh, we go there every, each year kind of enthusiastic that there's going to be a bit of a swell of interest. And it. Uh, I'm hoping it will happen this time. Yeah, me too. Um, strangely, there was no official attendance figures published for last year's uh, Grand Prix of the Americas. It was the only race all year in which, uh, or for which there was no um, official attendance given. I'm not. The, the, the kind of reason for that was never uh, made clear. But yeah, you could see from the grandstands just walking around the track, it wasn't very many people there. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure whether we are likely to see a, a huge uh, a huge attendance this weekend. I mean, the first two races, I think, have had pretty, pretty good attendances. We've obviously had a bit of publicity generated by uh, the sprints this year, sprint races, Dave. And also the the kind of controversy of round one, I guess, as well. Lots was going, you know, there were a lot, a lot of things to talk about there. A lot of controversy as well. Um, but whether that translates to America is uh, is another question altogether. Obviously, last year, you know, the the Americans did genuinely have a guy that not only qualified in pole position, but um, you know, could have won the Model Two race had uh, circumstances been slightly different. I don't think they could quite have that this year um you know sean dylan kelly in moto 2 um has had a decent start to the season but he's not going to be fighting for the podium for sure um and yeah still like a lack of uh, a lack of presence really in, in moto gp so yeah let, i mean let's hope that there's uh there's a decent contingent but um i'm not holding out any great hope just before we get into the aftermath of some of those uh controversies from you know the previous races certainly the portamao uh, mess um, a little bit more trivia for you guys. There are six other riders on the grid who have won in all classes at Cotter. Would you care to name them? Can you name them? Banyaya? Yep. Rins? Well, we heard him already because these were Marquez. Anyone else? Miller? Miller, yep. Martin? Yes. And... Oh, Raul. Yes, missing one nil. Goodness, what a strike rate. Dave, you can join in, you know, you don't just have to watch us. Yeah, one more, one more. Is it Mark Marquez? <laughs> <laughs> it was a contemporary when he was racing in junior level. Rides in Aprilia. Ah, Maverick. Yeah, there we go. So we've got like, what is that? Almost a third of the grid of one at Cotto in different classes. So there's a good spread. It's not like his, I mean, you think Mark Marquez has dominated at this particular venue, but then uh, there are other riders who know what it's like to to master the 2010s of the circuit of the Americas. Speaking of Mark Marquez, Dave, um, what? how do we see his position now in MotoGP? I mean, are we going to see a slightly humbled rider coming back? Because not only is he trying to make up for his the shortfalls apparent HRC with the equipment, I mean, he would have watched Joan Mir's struggles as well in Argentina. Um, it's a little bit, I mean, HRC at the bottom again, aren't they? Uh, there's the penalty hanging over his head. Maybe there's also question marks over his fitness. Um, Mark Marquez in Austin is going to be a very different Mark Mar Marquez that we're used to seeing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. If there's one track where you don't want to turn up with uh, still recovering from a uh, from a fractured thumb, it's the most physical track on the calendar. Um, it is going to be difficult. The bike is not 
terrific. Um, uh, it's interesting also because I think the there is a MotoGP test at the moment. I think most of the factories are testing at uh, Jerez Monday and Tuesday, um, today and tomorrow. And uh, apparently HRC will be rolling out the Calix chassis. Uh, Stefan Bradlbu will be giving that a whirl. Um, so there is sort of like hope for the future. At the moment, the bike is not. Ter- uh, it, it's just not very good. Um, it's very it's very difficult i i think marquez also you know if he does get the what is it the double long lap penalty uh that that's 6 seconds and although i think his winning margin has uh on occasion been 6 seconds it still puts you a long way further back um yeah i i think it's going to be an uphill uh, uh, an uphill struggle i think also it's going to be um there's a lot changing in in HRC at the moment. We've seen Ken Kawauchi come and, and change the test program. Uh, it's possible that we, if Taka Nakagami loses his ride in MotoGP, um, then he is almost certain to be HR, uh, a second HRC test rider. Um, and it'd be a really important one because he speaks Japanese and he's fast. Um, so yeah, there's like there are signs of progress for, for Honda, but right now, uh, you know, we, it's not going to do Mark for uh, any good in, in Kota. David, we're going to come back to you in a second for an update on who's going to be making Kota or not. So have, get your list ready to give some information to the listeners. But Neil, what is it conceivable that we see a Mark Marquez in Austin that's really just trying to feel his way back into the championship, considering the injury, considering that, you know, he's he might as well ride around with a big red flashing light because people will just want to give him a bit of a wide berth. You know, I think he has to almost demonstrate again that he's not a hazardous prospect on the track. I know it hasn't kind of really stopped him in the past but you know i think there's a little bit of um an aura around him at the moment where he kind of has to show a little bit more care or consideration perhaps possibly yeah um we could see a a more considerate mark um but um i guess a lot of this will depend on whether he does have these these long lap penalties this weekend um obviously honda have appealed uh the decision to award mark the double long lap at the next race that he is present at um initially the penalty of course was for specifically for argentina and you know it's believed that mark decided to miss argentina because the penalty was only for that particular race and it was after he had announced that he was not going to be present in argentina that that was changed to the next race that he's going to be present at and uh yeah, obviously a lot of uh, a lot of controversy about that. Um, the feeling in Argentina was that Mark will win, or Mark and Honda will win the appeal, and he won't have to do the the penalty or the double long lap penalty in Austin. Um, so yeah, it's 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 tough to know, but I think I mean I think we're still going to see a pretty competitive Mark. It, it is it is Austin. Um, it is like the a track that he's won, as you said, seven times out of nine visits. Um, and the other two times, you know, he, he could have quite easily won as well. We could be looking at, uh, you know, a clean sweep of nine victories. So will he be more considerate? Maybe, but I still think we'll see him somewhat competitive. The other thing about the appeal is, um, obviously, we've had Easter, which also made it impossible because it's a bank holiday in Switzerland, which is where the FIM is. Uh, so the the Court of Appeal couldn't have met. Um, whether it will they will still be actually be able to meet or not is a question. Be able to sort of meet in time. 
Um, so we could go there and just really not know what's uh, what's going on with the penalty at all. It's, it's possible that um, uh, I asked um, uh, about it previously and was told, no, no one knows what's going on. No one's heard anything. Uh, the FIMR... Uh, not fantastic at uh, communicating exactly what's going on. For example, there's no schedule for the uh, uh, Court of Appeal. There's no calendar on uh, on the FIM website explaining, you know, where the when the bodies will be sitting. So yeah, we it, it, it's one of those things where all of a sudden you hear you get a press release and find out the hearing's already been held. Well, you'd have to assume that if HRC and Mark Marquez are ready to race in Cotter, then there has to be some sort of adjudication. Otherwise, you know, what do they do? Is it just suspended until perhaps they meet in two months' time and it applies for the next Grand Prix? My other question is, um, not that they necessarily will give a shit, but is it going to be like a PR nightmare if, if, you know, HRC and Mark kind of win this appeal and they don't have to serve any kind of penalty? Even though I think I said on a previous podcast, I think smashing your right hand and missing a race anyway is, um, is also, you know, kind of just desserts really for a manoeuvre or a mistake like Mark made. I mean, um, is it going to be a PR nightmare? It's already a PR nightmare because the uh, the stewards couldn't write a penalty, a penalty properly. Um, uh, again, the the um, uh, uh, Repsol Honda are not pe- appealing against the penalty because they think the penalty is unjust. They're appealing against the penalty because um, it was just so incredibly badly awarded and badly uh, uh, badly written. You know, they it was. But it's still getting out of it, Dave. Uh, yeah yes yes yeah i mean yeah that's but that's like a secondary benefit to it it's more just to make the <laughs> fim look really really stupid because the or, or rather the stewards because they should have written this correctly the the the, the first time round and uh, honestly what happens if it isn't heard by the court of appeal then um i mean strictly speaking then mark marcus should have to serve the penalty. But the trouble is, if he does serve the penalty and then he wins the appeal, then he will have been penalised for... He would have had, you know, a, 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 an incorrect penalty. So, um, yeah, it'll be one to find out when we actually get there. There was an interesting article in Diario As, like the Spanish uh, sports daily newspaper by uh, our Spanish colleague Mela Chercoles in Argentina. He had spoken to someone in Marquez's camp who had assured him that when Mark was speaking with the stewards and received the penalty, he was he was told repeatedly that yes, the penalty is for Argentina. So um, yeah, for them to then switch it and say, oh, actually, it's uh, it's for the next race that you compete in. I mean, I don't think anyone is is contesting whether Mark you know deserves he sh- he should be made to to do this penalty right in in Austin. I don't think that's really up for argument. He should be made to serve a penalty for what he did in. Um, in Portimao, um, you know, even if he did miss Argentina. But as Dave said, it was so badly worded um, and the, it was communicated to him at the time that uh, it was going to be in Argentina. Therefore, to change it after that happened seems uh, it's just not very competent. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I can understand uh, the appeal. I can understand his frustration. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him win it. That's what I mean about the PR disaster. If he doesn't take the double long lap and wins in Austin, which is perfectly reasonable to expect, then it's not going to look very good or not going to sit nicely with a lot of people. Wreck the line, do the time. But, um, you know, Dave, coming back to you again, you know, the riders 
who could or could be there or are going to miss another Grand Prix. We're still waiting for news on Miguel Oliveira, aren't we? Um, and Aya Bastianini. These riders will have to do fitness checks at least. Um, uh, but then also Juan Mir, there's something of a mystery around him at the moment. Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, uh, from what I understand, and so from the RNF press release and uh, from uh, Honda, what I understand is that Juan Mir, will, uh, Juan Mir and Miguel Oliveira will both travel to uh, Cota, they will uh, have to do a fitness test. Um, uh, they'll have to be past fit before they're allowed to uh, to ride. Because uh, I think basically the ERTA rule is if you are ruled, if you're either ruled unfit due to a crash in the race, or you miss a race because uh, uh, because you're ill, or I think also if you ha- undergo surgery and have um, uh, and have to have a general anaesthetic, then uh, in those cases you have to be past fit before you can race. Um, so in in those cases we'll see Mir and we'll see Oliveira uh, undergo um uh, undergo a test. I think I expect Mark will travel to um uh, to Austin. Uh I think he will also have to be ruled fit because he's missed a you know he'll have to pass a fitness test. Um uh and Anea Bastinini is the one question mark Anea Bastinini um uh is the most injured. I think he's got a, a fractured shoulder blade. He's ex- he's going to undergo tests tomorrow at a hospital in Italy, and based on the outcome of those, then he'll make a decision about travelling to uh, Texas or not. Thank you very much, Dr. Emmett. Um, we're going to do our own double long lap penalty here on the podcast, but we'll be right back after this quick break. Renthal Street ultralight rear sprockets are CNC machine from an advanced aluminum, keeping rotating unsprung mass to a minimum. The integral hard anodized finish has a higher resistance to mechanical wear, which increases its longevity. Available for a huge range of motorcycles with options for a number of teeth and chain pitch. Use the Fit My Bike tool on Renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. Welcome back, everybody, to the second part of the show. We're talking, well, we're previewing the Austin Grand Prix, the Red Bull Grand Prix of the Americas. First of all, let's talk a little bit about a rider in another series. Dave, you mentioned that there's some testing going on at Jerez, uh, both today as we're recording on Monday and also on Tuesday. And there's been interest again around um, a former, you know, world superbike champion, uh, you know, Yamaha rider, top rack. What's our opinion there? Is it a case maybe that we saw a few years ago with Jonathan Ray where there is a window of opportunity for a high-profile world superbike rider to jump into MotoGP but not necessarily the right machine at the right time? Uh, do we feel that, you know, the, the Turk is in a similar situation? Neil, what's your, what's your thoughts? Ooh, I would say he's probably in a better situation in that regard because you could make the argument that there is uh, the right machine at the right time available for a top rank in that there is possibly a second seat in the factory Yamaha MotoGP team. Um, and, um, you know, Toprak also seems to have changed his tune somewhat with regards to, to MotoGP. I mean, from what we heard in 2022, both from Toprak in, I think, an interview that Steve did with him um, last year for the, the Padapass podcast, and uh, from Keenan Sofoglu um, and his various interactions with the media, you know, didn't seem that MotoGP was really the priority for uh, the 2021 World Superbike Champion. Um, but he did an interview with Speedweek recently, um, the German website. And, uh, you know, he was saying basically that uh, his 
ideal plan is to be in MotoGP next year, possibly with Yamaha. Um, his contract with Yamaha and World Superbike ends at the end of the season. And, um, you know, it seems that he's now quite keen to, to try his hand in MotoGP. So, um, so, yeah, I think the door does seem to be open. Um, I was quite interested in Yamaha's press release, which was saying that he's going to be testing at Jerez this week. Um, I think there was a quote in it from Lynn Jarvis, who was saying that um, he wasn't able to make it to the Aragon test that Toprak took part in with Cal Crutzlow last year, his first time on a Yamaha MotoGP bike. Um, but Lynn was saying, this time I'll be watching him in Jerez before my flight to Texas. So, you know, top Yamaha brass are there to get to an idea of how he fares, of his feedback, of... I guess the feedback from the test team, probably from Crutchlow as well, and to understand, you know, is this is this for real? Does he genuinely want to come here? Because I think Yamaha will try to accommodate him. You know, Jarvis has spoken about his admiration for his talent for a long time, and I mean, if there's a willingness on the part of Toprak, then yeah, there could be a willingness on the part of Yamaha. I think Maya Marigali is going to be there at the test as well. So, you know, properly all of the big guns are there uh, to see Toprak, to, to assess Toprak. Um, it is going to be pretty much sort of, it, it's now or never for him. He, this is something also that he acknowledged in the, um, uh, in the interview with Evo Schutzbach of uh, Speed Week that um, if he doesn't go now, then he'll stay in Moto G or he'll stay in World Superbikes. Um, he will be 27 by the end of this year, um, which is pretty much the end of your... Um, uh, it's pretty much right in the middle of your of that prime sort of uh, period, uh, the prime of your career. Um, it would be at least another year, maybe two, before he got another chance. If he didn't go in twenty twenty four, that would mean he's twenty nine, and then you start getting a little bit too old. Also, he has spent a lot of time on a on a on a superbike, and adapting from the Pirellis to the Michelins is extremely difficult and the other way around as well you know we saw it a little bit we see it a little bit with Petrucci even um, uh, you know managing the Pirellis is a completely different kettle of fish managing the Michelins is a completely different uh, kettle of fish you have to ride a, a bike completely differently you're braking a lot earlier um, but you're also braking a lot harder you can't just like stand the thing on its nose the way that Toprak does in in world superbikes I mean, Neil, you said it's, it might be the case of the right team and the right bike. But as Dave mentioned, I mean, Top Rack's going to be 27 in October. Um, that means, you know, his first sort of chance is really going to be the, the post-season test to really, you know, run against the rest of the field and get a, a sighting for MotoGP. But right now, I mean, do you really want to be jumping on a Yamaha? You must be looking at Franco Morbidelli thinking there's a, an athlete, a rider who's been through well over a year of... Um, a lot of soul searching, a lot of, um, you know, exploration of his riding and his methods to find competitive pace and speed and hasn't always been successful. I mean, clearly there's something working there for Fabio Quasararo, but the three of us have been in so many debriefs where Fabio just looks somewhat exasperated and keeps making the knife gesture up against his throat to say that he's on the complete limit. Uh, I just do, in one sense, that could work for Top Rat because he won't be expected to be a Grand Prix winner as, say, he would, uh, as Pekka Bagnaia's teammate, for example. But I just wonder if you want to be coming into, you know, a series where you're representing a brand that only has two bikes on the grid. Maybe there could be some more next year. We don't know. I mean, Dave, I know on motomatters.com you've compiled a very interesting uh, list of contract situations. So, I mean, people listening to this who want to know a little bit more about how City Season could be shaping up in the next few weeks and months, go and check it out. But 
um I, I think i'm just getting at the point that you know is the yamaha the most desirable bike if i know you beggars can't be choosers but w- would you get on an m1 right now can i turn that around because uh, this is what i was writing in my article that um what uh, is Toprak the best rider for Yamaha at the moment? They've only got two bikes. Next year, I think they'll only have two bikes. Uh, you know, VR46 have got a contract with the Ducati for 2024. Um, uh, who would they give their bikes to? Um, if you've only got two bikes, do you want two experienced riders or do you want one experienced rider and one rookie or one experienced rider and one um uh you know sort of a, a novice in the sense because i mean yeah top rack would technically be a rookie but he's obviously a very very um uh, experienced sort of racer um but someone who, who has to adapt a lot um i mean if i was lynn jarvis i would honestly be talking to um i'd be talking to jorge martin because martin is you know you're offering him a, ch- a chance in a, a seat in a factory team um you've got an opportunity to get someone who's obviously very fast someone who's also very fast with new tires um uh, you've got someone with a lot of experience or you know a lot of MotoGP experience that to me i think is a lot more uh, of an interesting prospect yeah, and also you'd be considerably working. Uh, sorry, uh, considerably be weakening your World Superbike effort um, because you know without top rack and, and World Superbike, Yamaha doesn't have a, a championship challenger. Um, you could argue Andrea Locatelli, but I don't think you're really going to put your money on him up coming up against Bautista and Ducati in their current form. Um, so yeah, I mean I think that has to be taken into account. But um, just going off what Lynn Jarvis has said over the last year and a half, he just seems to be quite spellbound by the level of talent that Top Rack possesses and the kind of intrigue that putting him in a MotoGP project um, would, would, would lead to, the kind of expectation. I mean, you would say that he is one of the more talked about riders in the world, um, not just for his, his, his results, but the, the kind of way of riding, the way of racing. You know, he is box office viewing in the way that Mark Marquez is or you know some of the more exciting MotoGP guys um so yeah I think um I think Dave's point is valid but um you know going off what the Yamaha bosses have been saying you know they 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 obviously know just how big a talent he is they speak to engineers they speak to crew chiefs um they can see data you know they 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 clearly feel that um it's it's an avenue that that is worth pursuing so I, I guess you know we'll we'll have maybe a firmer idea of of their their thoughts on him and um, when we get to Kota, because they'll have spent two days watching them test. Yeah, just to wrap this subject up, Dave. I mean, what kind of billing would Top Rack have in the team? Fabio Quartararo is twenty four in just over a week. He's clearly kind of the A list rider for Yamaha. Uh, would would you know the sort of would the Turk just come in and have? Would he be a B rider? Would he be a novice? I mean, do you think they would have him there just to pull a few stoppies and and pump up the Instagram channel? What, what's your opinion? Uh, well, I mean, he is very good marketing. He's very popular in Turkey. He's incredibly popular in Turkey. He's very popular in um, uh, in some of the other Asian markets. Um, that would be good for Yamaha. But Yamaha aren't really in a situation where they can afford to do that. They have one rider um, who, you know, when he's fast, can win. Um, and can win a championship. You know, he's proved that he can win a championship. But when things sort of like go awry for whatever reason, um, then they've got no backup plan. Uh, and I th- sort of strategically, 
you would think that Yamaha would be much more interested in having a a, a solid second rider who can provide a, a sort of a backup plan rather than uh, putting it all, you know, penning it all Mar- Marquez style on Fabio Quartararo. Um, now, Quartararo is of the level where he can sort of carry that weight. And also, you know, at 24, they've got a lot of time to actually sort of turn this around uh, as long as they can keep him. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's genuinely fascinating. The other thing is they risk losing uh, uh, top rack in World Superbikes if, for example, Ducati offer him a seat. So um, you know, if he wants to get a MotoGP, he's he's shown that he's not uh, loyal to a brand, nor should he be. Um, but he will, you know, he'll leave Yamaha the drop of a hat if he gets, if he thinks he can get on a bike in MotoGP that he can win, uh, that he can win with, you know, that's, that's a proven winner. Uh, and why wouldn't Ducati offer him a, uh, offer him a chance, you know? I mean, it's a, um, that to me is an even more prospect, uh, intriguing prospect because I think he'd do even better on a Ducati than a, than on a Yamaha. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. So that they're really caught, you know, between a rock and a hard place. With they want to keep Toprak, but Toprak keeps on going on about wanting to get a MoGP. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's a tricky one. It's uh, I think the easier and the easier choice and the most common sense would be Jorge Martin. But I think you know, even just from a, a selfish kind of journalistic narrative point of view, it would definitely be cool to see Top Rack on on a MotoGP bike. It'd be something, you know, to really focus on and talk about. So, um, but anyway, moving on to another subject. And Neil, you recently did an interview with Herve Poncharal. We're going to play into that now. Uh, just give us a bit of context there. You know, when did you speak with him? Um, I saw Herve pretty shell shocked in in Portugal, of course. I mean, to lose Paulo Spargo in that manner um you know even before any of sort of the racing had taken place for this season was a big blow to the team so you know what what did he tell you and how did you find him yeah um i spoke to Hervé on the thursday uh, before the argentina grand prix i went there principally just to have an update on on paul but as things transpired we, we spoke just a little bit about um about paul's condition um about the difficulty of finding a replacement rider in MotoGP gp these days we spoke before Jonas Folger was confirmed as the the rider that was going to take over from Paul as a substitute. Um, so so bear that in mind when we're chatting. Um, and then we also just moved into the new format and how it changes things for him and his team. Um, and also a lot of controversy was swirling around at the start of the the Grand Prix of Argentina. You know, we would just come straight from Portugal where a lot happened, um, and we were just having a bit of a, a discussion about. Do riders need to rein it in slightly, or can you even ask a rider to, to rein it in slightly, um, considering what we saw? So, um, yeah, Hervey was uh, in a chatty mood, talkative mood, um, and uh, yeah, had uh, some interesting views on all of the things I just mentioned. Yeah, still the president of Erta and one of the people in the paddock who's been around probably the most. I mean, I think he's a ridiculous rate of consecutive Grand Prix. But anyway, here's what Hervé had to say. Uh, stick with us on the Paddock Pass podcast. When we come back, we'll offer our um, useless predictions for the Grand Prix where Dave will name half the grid in contention for victory and Neil and I will try and narrow it down to one or two. So what, what is Paul's situation in the moment, Hervé? Like, I mean, does, is there even a time frame of, of how long his recovery will take? Okay, so Paul's situation, if we want to see the, the positive side of the situation and uh, the, you know, Paul is going to go, as I said before, he's going to come back with the possibility to have a normal life and to be a full-time MotoGP rider with uh, no, no consequences 
of the crash and of the injuries he sustained, yeah. which was not 100% sure when we saw the crash. We were all so worried. So this is a very good news. Okay, the negative news is he's in a lot of pain. He has had already the, the jaw operation, which was nothing. But still, now the, 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 the jaw, he, he can't open too much the mouth, so it's a bit discomfort, but it's not so bad. The, the lungs are okay now, but the, the, the vertebra have been uh, broken. Okay. Uh, a few of them, uh, without any consequence for the future. But that means he needs to have a corset. I don't know, you call it a corset? Yeah. He needs to have a corset for quite a while in order for the bone to heal. Uh, I know that there was some discussion inside the, the doctors. Uh, have an operation or let it heal in a natural way. And basically, uh, it was more invas invasive to do the, 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 the operation and the length of time for recovery was the same. So, I'm okay, thank you. And the length of time for recovery was the same. So it was decided and uh, leave, leave the nature do its job. And uh, so all this is positive. The negative thing is uh, it looks like it's going to be long. I can't tell you exactly the time frame now, but it's going to be more than uh, you know just uh, replacing Texas. At some stage, we know uh, we might have the possibility to have Danny Pedroza with us in Jerez because he was already uh, he already got the wild card there, so maybe he could switch from a wild card to a gas gas taxi rider. But then after that, you have Le Mans, even though you have a big break in between Le Mans and Mugello. I think at the moment, uh, Mugello is, uh, we thought was going to be sure, but now it's still question mark. So, so this is no good news for the whole project. Although the main uh, concern for all of us is to see Paul, you know, coming back to have a normal life because as long as he will have his corset, it will be painful. You, you can't enjoy the life too much. But now we, we face a situation where we have to find somebody to replace Paul and not for just one event. And as I just explained to you, I don't want to say it's mission impossible, but what is impossible? But on the other hand, uh, I'm not James Bond, you know. So mission impossible is almost a mission impossible. Uh, because, you know, you can use what we've said before, you know, because about the TV bike is something a few people or only know how tough it is because I have a lot of people who call me or who send me letters you know my guy can do it I can do it but with all respect for all the guys who are calling us they don't really realize what is a MotoGP bike you know we have the Moto2 current world champion Augusto Fernandez he has had nine days of testing winter test he did his first race in Portimao and he's still learning. And he told me, wow, to understand the tires, uh, the carbon brakes, uh, how to set up the bike, how to work to have a proper bike, I'm still far to understand everything. Okay. And you told me about Joan Mir, who is a world champion. So you can use that, you know, in your paper to, to explain, you know. It's not that we think we are number one and everybody, you know, it's yeah. we think about the safety. And if you take somebody, you have to think about the safety of that somebody. And uh, you know, sometimes the young guys say, I just want to show myself, to show them that I can do it. But you can't do it. Even though you are very talented, you can't do it. You have to go through a learning process 
But when the guys are coming for a replacement, they don't want to go through the learning process, they just want to impress. And we lost Paul for a while. I don't want to lose anybody else, you know. So, so everybody is uh, now scratching their head inside the peer mobility group because, you know, Mr. Trucon, Paul, Speed Buyer, Jens Hanbar, me, Paul Trevatan, we all, you know, exchange. It's difficult. Yesterday, I had, uh, my, uh, I had uh, my dealer with Joan Zarco, I asked him. Then later on, I spent some time with Augusto Fernandez, but nobody got any idea. So, I don't know. Right. I don't know, but for sure, we won't come with something special. Yeah. Um, Unless you have a name <laughs> and an ID. <laughs> I don't, but let me think about it. Yeah. Good. Um, I mean, we obviously were coming here to Argentina minus four riders. It seemed that it was a, a crazy weekend in Portugal. Is that just because it was the start of the season or do you think that this kind of uh, pressure on, on every session is kind of contributing to... Okay, I'm going to tell you what is my position. Yeah. I want to say I have always been independent. I have always had my free mind and my free you know, way to think or, and uh, I'm not paid by anybody. Yeah, you know, I've got contract with PR Mobility, with, uh, with Elf, but I've always had my freedom to, to, to talk. Because a lot of people will say, yeah, but for Charles, the president, he's, uh, you know, supporting Dorna because Dorna is paying, Dorna is not paying me. Dorna is, is supporting the teams financially, all equal, but okay. Yeah. So this was an important parenthesis because I don't want to, to be seen like, uh, you know, I'm supporting anything the, the promoter is doing because uh, I have to or, you know. So I tell you my honest opinion. It could shock some people. It could please some other people. I don't care. You know, we live in democracy. I'm a Democrat. I can uh, read my newspaper every morning. Uh, and uh, this is not the case in um, a lot of part of the world. Right. And I would like to keep the democracy spirit. I believe the new format was very exciting. I've been talking to some guys that were in Portimao. I've been talking to some guys that uh, were behind their TV in my country in France. We have seen the TV audience on Saturday. This was a great Saturday. Okay, some people will say, but the audience and the business is not everything. We need to take care. Of course, we take care. And I've told you that we take care of the people. Yeah. I have talked to my only rider now, which is Augusto Fernandez. He quite like it. I was with Pablo Nieto earlier on, and he told me that his rider quite like it. So, I believe the new format is working well, and is a good step to the direction where everybody wanted to go. Uh, it's more pressure in a way, yes, because an FP4 demand less intensity than uh, a, a sprint. Yeah. But some riders say I like the pressure and I like racing and the fans for sure. So it's also what we want to do with our championship. We cannot say our sport is uh, going down and if we uh, we should do something. But when you do something, the same people tell you, why have you done that move? Yeah. It's the same thing like when we switched from two stroke to four stroke, we, we were killing the MotoGP, the Grand Prix racing, right. but we didn't. So I don't want to say, there is perfection doesn't exist. So I don't want to say it's perfect. Clearly, Dona, Carmelo the boss, 
uh, is open and there will be debate. And every Friday night we have the safety commission to eventually talk about what could be done. I have heard that there is maybe a little bit uh, more time needed in between FP3 and qualifying. This is already under you know, discussion and uh, thinking what we can do. But the format itself, I think this is what we needed. Okay, some people are telling we miss four riders, but we need to analyze. Because, you know, if you want to get rid of your dog, you can say he's got rabia. You say rabia, no? Uh, rabies. Rabies, okay. Even if it doesn't have, oh, I killed my dog because he got rabies. This is a say. So, you can, you, you, you can be saying, you know, you can see the glass are full or half empty. Right. And I want to see the glass are full of empty. Sure. Paul Espargaro, one of the riders who is missing. Nothing to do with the new format. He went out together with Miguel and they were a bit too slow on their outlap. It was very cool outside and they were caught. Yeah, yeah. Miguel, fortunately, escaped without any major injury. Paul, unfortunately, had serious injury. But this is nothing to do with the new format. Second, Bastianini. Okay, this was during the sprint. But it's a racing incident for me. And uh, some people will tell you, yeah, because there is more pressure. Yes. But how do you know? So, okay, let's say Bastianini could be a victim of the sprint. Yeah. The three others, Marc Marquez, Miguel Oliveira, and Jorge Martin, who was also the victim of this, it was during the main race. For me, it was a misjudgment from Marc, who was maybe overriding, because we know what he's been through, what the brand is. But, but to say the new format means we lost already four riders. We can't continue like this. For me, this is not objective. This is subjective. This is not correct. Okay. Yes, we have to take care of our riders. Yes, we have to take care about the teams, the technicians. Uh, 21 week with two starts, a sprint and a race is 42 start. Yes, this is a concern and we are talking about it. And we are trying to see what can be done. The calendar this year is really difficult at the end of the season, but we are working on a better calendar for 24. So there is room for improvement. Right. But I don't like the fact that the four riders missing is 100% due to or the result of the new race format. Yeah. For me, this is not the truth and this is uh, coloring the reality. And I don't like to color the reality. So. I like the new format, we should improve. Okay, some team manager told me we should take the riders and tell them to calm down. Okay. But they are racing riders. They want to be in front. How can you tell a rider that slow down or don't go too fast or don't take risk? You know, always when you are behind the wall, you want your rider to push more. And then if he push a lot, take a lot of risk and win, he's a hero. But if he pushes, a little bit too much and crash, you're pissed off and he's a zero. So it's easy to talk when you are behind the wall or when you are behind your TV and it's easy to comment. But I believe everybody was pushing for changing the format because we are losing compared to some other competi competition, yeah. other sport. Sure. We are losing. And everybody was pushing like crazy. We have a MotoGP independent uh, group and all of these guys were pushing like, hey, Dorna should do something. And when Dorna showed them the new format, they were like, wow, fantastic, this is what we needed. Right. And now inside this group, some people are saying, we should go back. Uh -huh. So 
I think we have had only one race. Portugal was, we had the test before, everybody was maximum. Round one is always, even though the riders are experienced, they always want to, to show, sure. uh, to impress. Let's wait. Yeah. Let's wait, you know. And again, you know, I was uh, chatting very briefly with Peko because uh, I don't want to say I had a long conversation, but he did it. He took it the good way. For sure, he had the pressure. He's the current world champion. Everybody was expecting him. And he's quite happy. Yeah. And he didn't see any negative things in, in, in the format. And I spoke to Zarco, even Augusto, I spoke with him, Fernandez. And he told me, no, no, I like it. So, you know, nothing is is always is a hundred percent, or Black in a non-democrat uh, place, you know. So for sure, this is always interesting to listen. And again, we need to improve, and we can improve, but we need to do it. Stay calm. We we don't want because all that came out in Portugal and after Portugal, for me, this is working against us. This is working against our sport, you know, and. Uh, Okay, Dominicali was there, and uh, he, Ralph Schumacher was there, and uh, Josh Capito was there, and uh, they all were impressed with the sport, and they all were impressed with the level of technology and the, 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 the racing format. And when I hear people saying, um, you know, uh, this, uh, the, the, the only thing about business, about the riders, okay, I remember when, uh, uh, you know, a long time ago, uh, some media, you know, uh, we had uh, sometimes not enough water in the paddock, sometimes not enough electricity in the paddock, uh, and they, and when they were, and they were, you know, and some of them were saying we need to go back to, you know, the old paddock, blah blah blah, and there was at one stage not enough TVs in the media center, or not enough uh, free drink, or not enough, and they were the first one to shout. So sometimes you have the feeling that they want to be living in uh, 2023 and uh, to still have our sport in the world is changing. I'm 66 and the best days in my, my life were my 2030s. So I'd like to go back to 1980. I was here in 1980. Some, some people write about what was happening in 1980. It's completely wrong. And we were fighting to have a better paddock, to have more media, to have more attention, to have a proper... There was no media center available at that time. Rothmans took a bus. Jeff Dixon was the driver. And that was the press, the media center of the paddock right. done by a sponsor. And they were the only one to have a fax at that time. And they were sending their paper through the, the Rothmans fax. Right. They should remember, we had uh, no safety. We were fighting for more safety. Okay, the gravel bed was a, not a gravel bed, was a gravel, was a rock bed. Right. That is a scandal, and Carmelo already said if they don't modify, they will lose the grade A. We won't have any more MotoGP. Agreed. Mm. So it's not perfect yet, but I can tell you that now we have these air fences, even though there could have been one there also, this is clear. But the safety improved massively because we've been pushing. Sure. The life in the paddock improved massively because we've been pushing. Mike Trimby was uh, the, the leader for a long time. You know? yeah. We created the airtight 1986. So I don't want to be something like, uh, you know, I'm the, the guru of everything, but always in life you need to stay calm. And uh, we were supposed to have a meeting here with the, 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 the independent team because some guys were hot and I said, no, 
better have maybe if you want to have it quick in Texas because at least we'll have two races. You can't act under pressure with what happened in Portugal. Yes, four riders are not here. But is it only due to the new format? I don't believe so. That's, that's my, 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 my vision. And I'm glad that some people don't share my vision, but they, sh they should respect me and like I respect them. Just one final thing. Herbert. And nobody expect me to say that. <laughs> Nobody. I will always keep my freedom. <laughs> one final thing. Just curious to know from different viewpoints how this changes your kind of weekends. Um, how, from your point of view, does it change? Um, I mean, do you see your kind of your crew working harder, a little more stressed in certain moments? Um, is there a little more pressure perhaps on them on a Friday afternoon than there was before or a Saturday, obviously, there, there must be now? I mean, how does it change the kind of working methods of your team? Okay, anyway, uh, pressure, uh, Friday, Saturday, as, since we have the Q1, Q2 has always been there. Right. Because any session, FP1, FP2, is almost like a qualifying, at least the, the, the final 15 minutes. <clears throat> because it can define the grid. So, that doesn't change too much. Friday doesn't change too much, honestly. And uh, and uh, I told you already. Yes, there is more pressure for for the guys. Yes, it's more difficult. Uh, yes, maybe we have to slightly think of how to make the schedule. Yeah. I told you in between the P three and qualifying or some other thing. A bit easier for the riders and the, 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 the team. The end of the calendar is going to be very difficult. All this is true. Yeah. But, uh, you know, some... Portugal, I'm only talking about Augusto side because Paul was not there, but, you know, sometimes if you work in a, a good atmosphere, uh, if everybody is happy, if the rider is happy with you, you're happy with the rider, the, the, the bike is making step, uh, and everybody is really focused, like we said, the, the poorness or the poverty is easy to live under the sun than it's cold. This is a saying also that we have in French. Doesn't mean maybe anything in English, but you know. So, a lot of factors are involved in the pressure, in the mood of the teams, in the tightness. And we all also say, you know, sometimes you work really hard because you have a lot of crashes and you get a sh bad result. And then at the end of the weekend, you, the whole team is knackered, is destroyed, and the mood is very low. Right. Sometimes you have the luck that the bike setting is good, the rider feels good, and you have a good result. The amount of work is almost the same, but everybody is uh, breaking down the pit garage and everything like they haven't worked. Right. They feel light, they feel happy. So this is also a very important factor, you know, to keep your team uh, with a good spirit. Um, but I'm long, huh? but yes, this is true that now it's more difficult and more work and more pressure for the riders. But also, because also you have to know that the bikes are more and more complicated. Yes. A lot of, a lot of the devices, a lot of. So every time you have a crash, it's a lot longer to rebuild. So, for example, we hired. Normally, you have a, a crew chief, a strategy guy, a data guy three mechanics and a guy for fuel and tire. Basically, this is the, 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 the format everybody is having. And now we have another mechanic that we hired, most of the, the, the team factory or independent. So we have now seven mechanics. So we have three and a half for each side. So we have one guy who is helping when the side is more. 
so we created some more job you know I, okay. I had some more people I have now a team manager so that helped us to so because we have more work also the the each team is growing because you can't ask the same number of guys to do more work because there will be a limit and there will be some breakdown sure. so we also try to compensate okay interesting you know, I have had, uh, created three new jobs because, okay, this is another department, but social media is more important, more and more. And uh, Donna, very rightly, is pushing us to, to be more active. So I have a girl who is doing only social media, new job, cost. Seventh mechanic, new job, cost. Team manager, new job, cost. But, and I think everybody's doing, I'm not, I don't want to say, I'm, you know, sure. everybody's doing the same. So, yes, there is more work, more pressure, but we try. Uh, okay. We try to don't increase the workload like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, too much. Exactly. Last one, Herbie. Good job, Neil. Thanks for talking to Herbie Poncharal for us on the podcast. Let's wrap things up here, guys. Uh, thoughts for the Grand Prix. We have to predict two winners. So it's two bites of the cherry. Dave, um, who do you fancy for the sprint around 20 corners? And, uh, you know, who's your tip for the Grand Prix? Um, do you know what? I'm going to be incredibly boring and just say Pekka Banyaya because uh, he's well, he was on a roll, but he did manage to uh, um, uh, you know sort of mess things up a little bit in in um, in Argentina. So yeah, we'll see. But I still think it's going to be more of a Ducati fest. Um, obviously, it's a very very bumpy track, and that makes a difference as well. Uh, the Ducatis don't really like that. So, um, actually, can I just change? I'm just thinking about it. So change your mind. <laughs> Brad Binder. There you go. Brad Binder. So Brad Binder for both. Oh, You're going yeah, for a 100%, double. Hundred. Wow. percent. Oh no no no! I tell you what, Brad Binder. Um, uh, Brad Binder for the sprint, and Jack Miller for the uh, for the main race. So, Dave, you'll be adjusting your fantasy team accordingly. Uh, again, just pr to promo the competition, Paddock Pass Podcast 2023. Just go into the game hub on MotoGP.com. Make your team if you haven't already done so. You've only missed two races. And uh, select leads and join us. Um, we're still talking with the likes of Alpine Stars. We want to get like a prize bundle together to the person who correctly accumulates the most points at the end of the season. But, uh, yeah, join us to play. Um, I'm going to pick... I think Jack Miller is going to cause a surprise. Just looking also at the forecasts, I know, I know we're still quite away from the Grand Prix, but it's looking a little kind of murky, um, quite hot, and maybe potentially a little unstable. So I, I'm curious as to see the state of the asphalt um, at Cotter. If it's kind of low grippy again, um, like we sort of saw in Argentina do a degree, I wonder what's going to happen. But um, I think Miller might cause a surprise. Otherwise, I think Jorge Martin, who was very competitive there, so he had a pretty big smash last year. Uh, he was very much on the pace. I think he's going to be another rider who's pushing for honours. So I'll, I'll, I'll probably veer towards those two. But um, Neil, your thoughts? Uh, I mean, you've both mentioned KTM. KTM had a really tough time in Austin last year. I think it was one of the most difficult runs of the year that they had. Um, Brad Binder finished 12th, 13 seconds off the victor in uh, last year's race, and he was the top KTM. You know, that's a, that's a hefty margin. Uh, you know, 
Jack has always had a good a good record at this track, um, and I, I kind of agree with you. But it's it's a difficult one to call because you look at last year's results. Bastianini won. He's obviously injured, uh, and even if he does ride, you can't really expect him to be up there fighting when he's recovering from a shoulder. Rins was second, but he's changed to a Honda. Miller's third. He's changed to KTM. Mir was fourth. He's changed to Honda, and he's obviously coming back injured. Um, so yeah, there's no one from last year's race that you look at and you think, oh yeah, he's a really obvious contender. I, I agree that Martin, I think, will be a name uh, to be considered um, because he was quite impressive in 2021 when we went there, his first year uh, in MotoGP. I think he just missed out in the podium. He was fourth. Um, and Maverick Vinales has always gone well here. Um, Vinales has started the season well. Um, and last year he was actually pretty fast, but just, um, you know, had a bad qualifying and, and you know was a bit bulked on the first uh on the first lap so um yeah i think vinales could be one to look out buzeki uh had an absolute nightmare uh in kota last year i think he was uh last by the start of the second lap and then i think he retired or crashed out on the third so uh you know it wasn't really a, a good one but then we know how much uh progress he's made from this point last year to now so you know maybe wouldn't rule him out either but yeah i think uh, maverick and martin are the ones i'll be looking out for I'm really intrigued to see what Alex Rins can do on the Honda because Alex Rins has adapted surprisingly well to the Honda. Um, he's just sort of taking it in his stride. Maybe if there's a track where the Honda is good, it is around Kota in part because it is so bumpy. Um, so you can't, there's a lot of stuff, you know, you can't use. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe Alex Rins can take on the mantle of Mark Marquez and either follow him around or lead him around and um, have a bit of a decent start. But I'm uh, I'm not predicting him to win, but I think he definitely could uh, finish a lot higher up than we might uh, otherwise expect. Neil, I love the way you made multiple tips, but at the same time managed to remove half of the grid as well from contention. <laughs> so that was pre pretty impressive. Not bad going. So, um, you know, I think we've confused our listeners enough by now. Listen, guys, send us any feedback to Paddock Pass Pod on Twitter or join us on Patreon by searching for Paddock Pass Podcast. We'll be doing full notes shows in Austin. Just for people that don't know, we record our thoughts right after the sessions, right after the debriefs. When we've spoken to the riders, we've got their feedback. We've got the latest on it any stories we load it to patreon join us there there's different tiers we post whatever content we can find or we can make through the grand prix weekend and um, again just give us any feedback on that particular platform or we'll try and answer any questions on sunday we'll also try to grab some post-race reaction and upload that file in the meantime uh, dave safe trip neil also to you i'll see you on the other side of the atlantic and um thanks for listening guys thanks also to gas gas get on the gas and to rental street 